to warn you. Look out. It's going to be a bad one tonight. I'm right there ready. What's in the generation of fantastic voice comes on the scene? It speaks for every last, every last mother's son of us. Right, George? Wow. What a way to come on. What a way to come busting out on a vast stage of life. Come roaring out your kid tennis shoes, kicking up dust, raising a thin film of rubber smoke as you come tearing out. All flags flying. Yes, sir, that big ball bouncing up ahead of you there on the screen. And that voice saying, sing along, gang. Keep them knees loose and high. Move, move. Silliness. Hey, uh, I have a, uh, I have a, uh, a uh, philosophical question I'd like to ask my fellow Americans tonight. Hello there, gang. I want you to answer this question, if you will, please. It's been bothering me. Who, who, what character speaks entirely in a foreign language on television and delivers an entire commercial using the following language? Quack, 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 quack. Character. He's 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 grown to be my favorite television character. Who is he? Who is that? Yeah. yeah. Thank you, thank you. That was real nice. That's, that's good. Who is who is the character? We'll award you a brass figlegi with a bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me who that character is. Some days when I walk down the street, I can just hear him talking to me. In fact, he reminds me of many bosses that I worked for. I never can quite understand what they're talking about. I mean, they they, they sit there in the desk there and they and they say it with such great authority. I mean, they just lay it out. Now, what character is that? Come on, before I go any further, I just want to see. Uh, speaking of American uh, things, I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's happening everywhere. Are you ready to uh, ready to uh, note a straw in the wind, gang? Straw in the wind time. In spite of the fact it's the end of the week, it's also straw in the wind time. And uh, there's no question about it. You agree, don't you? That we are slipping slowly backwards into the mire and the muck of the Middle Ages. I mean, you know, it's kind of gruy. A bubonic plague is popping out again. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know. <laughs> the guy's got lice, you know, they're having an invasion of lice. In Lodi and the schools over there in Jersey, yeah, yeah, that the they they've even asked for a, a, a deadline, thirty days are left for the lice. And by the way, for those of you who are interested in lice, does anybody out there have a sure cure? But uh, that, we'd pass it on to the other listeners. Uh, Denver, Denver, and Denver's a kind of a hip town, as a matter of fact. Denver, what's happening in Denver? Denver, University of Denver. And its list of course offerings notes a $10.90 surcharge for course number 32. 
a very important straw in the wind. I'm sticking it into my vast file so that by the year 2755, they'll know just what the hell it really was like in our time. Course number 32. Nick, if you'd like to take this one, and by the way, it's a full three-credit hour course in the humanities. It's a $10.90 lab charge, and the lab charge is to cover the cost of candles, bats, blood, and other items, which will be needed for the, the lab part of the class, which is uh, witchcraft theory and practice, the school says. And uh, that's, uh, that's correct. That is correct. That is correct. The character that I have just described who speaks in that language is Joe Graziola, and uh, he does it very well. enough culture. It's enough culture for tonight. I don't like, you know, people get bored like that. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, incidentally, speaking of being bored, uh, that uh, also that uh, same... Uh, what what radio show? There was a radio show one time where um, <laughs> on the radio show, one of the characters was a chicken that sang the Washington Post March. That's right. I'm, I'm not kidding you. There was a chicken, what radio show was it, that had a chicken on it that sang the Washington Post March. And I was about three years old, and I used to absolutely flip every time I heard that. It was one of the very, very rare times that I wet my pants in front of my Aunt Clara. It was just so exciting. Let's hear this. Uh, I'll show you what he did. Bring it on, baby. You could start out like that, slow. show is that. I did that pretty well, I think. I mean, I haven't played chicken for a long time. <laughs> did you like that? Yeah, well, anybody have any crusts here for the singing chicken? The silver masked, uh, the silver masked uh, Plymouth Rock clucker. Anybody out there? Any, uh, <laughs> well, of course. And I used to sit there listening to that. I just flip every time I hear it. And my mother used to go out of her bird. If I may use such a phrase in connection with a singing chicken. Oh, <laughs> I'm terrible. It's a bad night. Bad night, Nick. Bad night. 
But uh, I noticed that uh, nobody, uh, the only only one person called in, and that person was from Staten Island, naturally, who recognized that it was uh, Joe Graziola who uh, speaks in that uh, strange foreign language. I guess that's the language that all ex-catchers use anyway. You know, they, they, they always say, you know, the tools of the trade, you have to do the best. I'd kind of like to go to the uh, University of Denver, though, and take that course in witchcraft, you know, putting the horns on people. Yeah, sitting there. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yes, fangs. Oh, yeah, they use a lot, a lot of venom, that kind of stuff. And uh, and I understand that they're also, uh, next year, for people who pass successfully the witchcraft course, they're going to have a uh, a course in the practice and the uh, the lab techniques of werewolfism. And uh, which ought to be kind of nice. I, I uh, it would be exciting actually. Uh, I, I, I w- I've always been afraid that one day I was going to get caught by a werewolf. I, uh, I, I once dated a girl. I it had very strange-looking teeth. You know, the little two little things sticking down the front. And uh, I remember one night we were sitting in the front seat of this Pontiac. Actually, it was my old man's Pontiac. See, and uh, the uh, we were parked out in the weeds there, and uh, there, <laughs> uh, there was a. Uh, there was a lamppost, you know, a few hundred yards away, but it was casting a soft, yellowish glow. And uh, I had just seen the werewolf picture. I, you know, I, I was always hung on werewolves. I, I think, I think most of us have a deep secret fear that somebody's going to sneak in at night. And uh, you know, where you're laying there in your your sack, there you're skunked out, and uh, you know, absolutely dead to the world. When somebody's going to sneak in and uh, sink his fangs. Deep in your jugular vein. Do you have a jugular vein, Nick? I don't know. I, I've often read of it. I, I, I'm, uh, you know, I've really found it yet. But uh, he's going to sink your he or she is going to sink their fangs in your jugular vein, and the next morning you're going to wake up. You know, you won't know this, see, except you'll think some you had a fantastic bite from some kind of a bug there now. You know, yeah. Well, you know, you, those things happen. Let's admit it. Things are always breaking out on you. You, you don't. You don't pay much attention after a while when you've been around. I've, I've known guys that for over five, six years had barnacles. And uh, hey, a, a human being can get barnacles. That's right. I'm not kidding. A barnacle will, will attach itself to anything that stays in the water long enough. And uh, it, uh, it it just kind of looks like a big wart. You get a barnacle there working on you. And, of course, people tend to accept these things. Six of one, half dozen the other. I always say that. Six one half dozen the other. I say, I, f- I figure that covers it. You know, look before you leap. I also say that too. And incidentally, yeah, uh, you know, oh no, I think I think you can speak your entire life out with nothing but cliches, nothing ventured, nothing gain, gang. That's that's uh, what I say. I say you can always tell a man by the dog he owns, right? Absolutely. Man who loves kids uh, can't be all uh, something. I think. Yeah, clear. Speaking of cliches, this is W O R New York, and. Uh, you know, you just can't uh, get around it. And by the way, I've got a uh, a letter right here, which is going into our vast file of crud, which we will keep for future reference here. It says, a Shepherd, and it's got 15 exclamation points after it. Shepherd. And I'm always suspicious, though, however, of people who use Snoopy stationery. Yeah, it's got Snoopy on it, see? Snoopy stationery. Yeah, well, that's what I say. Thumbs down. Absolutely. Boo, boo. Wah, boo. Anyway, it says, Shepard, I cannot believe this... This is a commercial, so you better start logging it. Shepard, I cannot believe this bird of yours. It's fantastic. This is a kid writing. He says, I think I'm going to have to send for another one, man. Send one quick. I let the first one go during a school auditorium assembly. 
The students and teachers were amazed and dumbfounded when this thing came flapping its little wings and flew right out over the assembly. <laughs> he said, I never saw it again. <laughs> he said, incidentally, it flew, the full, it flew the full length of the auditorium. And this was uh, from a kid in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, Mark Jakabuki of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Even out in the Cape, they got uh, civilization. So uh, I'd like to uh, point out, if you'd like to let a bird go in your auditorium session, that's a kind of an expensive gesture. The bird costs three ninety eight, but uh, you know, for three ninety eight, you'll have a thrill of a lifetime. You know, it isn't uh, often for just three ninety eight. You can see people screaming and old ladies fainting, and you know, Miss uh, Miss Grubbage from the English department with the blue hair trying to run through a window. That bird flies to the auditorium session. You get kicked out of school for two weeks. You know, it's a, you get a lot for three ninety eight. And uh, his name is Tim. It's a little flying bird. And one of our listener types uh, penned a beautiful little ode that refers to these plastic birds. You've seen them, Nick, of course. And uh, here's what his little ode is, and it's kind of beautiful. Listen carefully now for you poetry fans. This has great meaning. Ornithopters on the astroturf, alas. Now, come on, that's a good piece of work. Think of it now. What's it, what's it referring to? Come on, Nick. Let's see whether you know your literature. What? Hit the talk back. What's it referring to? Ornithopters on the astroturf, alas. You mean to tell me I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the amount of, of ignorance and sheer dildockery one has to put up with in this life. That is a takeoff on a famous poetic statement. You never heard it. Well, you're going to have to stop reading them Travis McGee books and get out here in, the, in, in real life. <laughs> Ornithopters on the astroturf, alas. And if you'd like to order one of your little flying birds, they're really great, really. Uh, three ninety-eight is the cost, and they come packed in a little box with a special extra rubber band, so if you bust the first one, you can get the second one. And they give you a little, little special tool that uh, works at the, you know, so you can put it in. And it really flies, man, 16 inches across, and it's a copy of the kind of uh, based on the Leonardo da Vinci drawings. Beautiful little thing. And it's three ninety-eight, and it was made in France, and it goes like Billy be damned. So send your check or money order. Don't send it to me. Send it to Flying Bird with a U. Flying Bird, Department S. Department S. And I know you can spell S. P.O. Box 1909. P.O. Box 1909 Grand Central Station, New York, New York, 10017. All right, now, all right. I did the station break. I did it too early. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> this is WOR New York. You're telling me I made... Listen, if I had a dollar for every damn station break I've made, friend, I could buy the island of Eleuthera. That's right. But uh, nevertheless, uh, all kidding aside, gang, I would like to ask this question. Now, that, that's a nice, nice little literary piece there. Ornithopters on the astroturf, alas. What, uh, what piece of uh, poetry does that refer to? It's a, it's a nice little parody on it. And it even has, a, I think, a little more poetic meaning than the original one. Ornithopters on the astroturf, alas. All right, we will award a brass figdigee to the first listener who rises above the muck of reader digestism, who rises above the muck and mire. I'm smarter than the average ranger. 
Hey, uh, who is who said that? I'm smarter than the average ranger. I am smarter than the average ranger. Who? Donald Duck? What's going on here? There's a, I'm surrounded by non-Americans. <laughs> all right, all together, gang. Now it's singing time now. Once again, they're passing the jello out. Let's go. Here they come, marching around with their trays. Yes, sir, it's singing time. Hey, it's happy time in the old cafeteria. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Now, hold it, hold it there. Cut out that quacking. We've had at least 500 calls from people who would love to hear my singing chicken again. Would you want to hear that singing chicken again? Hello? There, finally, you poor clods. Yes, that is a takeoff on pigeons on the grass, alas. And who wrote it? <laughs> that is correct. Gertrude Schmidt. Very good. Pigeons on the grass, alas. I don't know. I just feel like that tonight. You know, I just just feel this way tonight. Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, of uh, with salutes, we haven't saluted anybody recently. We'd like to salute a colleague in the radio industry in Louisville, Kentucky. Did you hear the Louisville disc jockey who uh, passed out on the air last Thursday after downing three quarters of a fifth of whiskey during a two and a half hour show? Oh boy, yes, sir. Gary Burbank did it. The 29-year-old disc jockey at station WAKY said he wanted to demonstrate the effects of alky as a warning to citizens to limit their drinking. Just before leaving the air, Burbank muttered, and it's his last words, he muttered, I'm smashed. And then he hollered, hey, take over, I'm going to pass out. And it was a thump. And on came, uh, you know, selection of Norman and Norman Luboff choir records. He was given breathalyzer tests throughout the broadcast, and the last reading he passed out, showed a blood alcohol content of 0.14%. Kentucky law holds any person bagged on a reading of 0.10%. And the station got a lot of calls, by the way, <laughs> on the <this> show. <laughs> He's lucky he didn't that he didn't go the way a lot of people go when they start getting into the bag. You know, it's like, hey, I have to tell you the one of my... <laughs> Great story here. Well, uh, that happens. Although... Uh, you know, this uh, this idea of people uh, drinking. I, I have uh, people always... You know, there's, a, there's an illusion about people in showbiz about them drinking all the time. Not many do. Not any more than the average crowd. And uh, I've never known anybody, hardly ever in radio, who ever drank while he was working. But I will tell you one thing that I saw happen. Fantastic scene one time. And uh, maybe it's the, it's the climate, it's the air out there that does it. But... Uh, I don't often tell stories about, you know, the business, do I? But I will tell you one one right now. That uh, one night, a friend of mine, and uh, this was in another town, which for why uh, we have, let's think of a, let's think of a, uh, a uh, non-existent town, huh? I mean, you know, uh, I, I hate to, to tar a town with the evil brush of, uh, of an iniquity, you know. Let's think of a town, a silly name. Think of a silly name. Think of a silly name, huh? Hackensack. Well, it's a, that's a silly name, but uh, I'm afraid that there is a Hackensack. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe, but there is, actually. Well, there really is. And there's also an East Hackensack, which makes it even worse. 
compounds the felony. However, uh, I think of a town, let's see, uh, Cincinnati. That's a funny name. Uh, yeah, that's a screwy name. All right, there was a town named Cincinnati, see, and non-existent. It's like, you know, Winnie the Poohsville or something. So it's like Oz. Oz. By the way, speaking of Oz, I'd like to ask another question. You mind if I ask a philosophical question here? There was a character in Oz. Everybody knows about uh, Dorothy in Oz, right? All right, who was the heavy in the Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz? No, it wasn't the wizard. Who was the heavy? The wicked witch of the what? West. I see. You say she's now doing newscasts over on Channel 2? I see. The wicked witch of the West. That is correct. Now, you have proceeded to the second square. Now, we give you 15 seconds to answer this question. What character needed an oil can to get back into operation? Correctement, the Tin Woodman. Now, the Tin Woodman pursued a quest. All good literature, incidentally, ultimately is based on a quest. Uh, I must point that out to you. Uh, I mean, you've thought of this stuff, and you sit around in a barber chair thinking about quests, right? But uh, I, I, I don't mind playing a good game of quests once in a while, but uh, it kind of gets me in the wrist after a while. No, that's Quint. Uh, Quint. Isn't there a game named Quint? Quince. Yeah, you play Quince. Q-U-I-N-C-E. Quince. Yeah, you play Quince. That's right. There's these little round things made out of uh, rope. That's right. Yeah, you play Quince. Right. Well, uh, so I didn't want to confuse you there, but uh, what... Was the Tin Woodman after in his quest? Hmm, correct. Correct. A new suit of clothes. No, no, that's that's not right. Uh, you get that if you hit the signboard out there over the scoreboard. Uh, but uh, <laughs> sharp as a tack. But the, what, you do, uh, what you do have to know is, is what quests are about. Now, he was after a heart. Correct. Now, uh, on that quest, he was accompanied by Dorothy. And uh, who was the other character? Ah, uh, correct, the Scarecrow. Now, what was the Scarecrow after in the quest? That's right, a haircut. No, I'm sorry, he was after, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a nasty one. He was after brains, which is a quest many of us have been after for years. Okay, wisdom he wanted, actually. Now, uh, what was Dorothy after? Uh, that was a silly one. That's right. I mean, can you imagine anybody wanting to go back to Kansas? But uh, nevertheless, Dorothy wanted to get back to Kansas. Now, she was accompanied on her trip by her pet named Toto. That is correct. Gee, you're very smart. Now, Toto was, one, a pigeon, two, a guinea pig, three, an alligator with a bad teeth, four, a horse, and other, which... Four, an alligator? Other. Yes. What color was this other? Gray. Well, all right. I suppose your your uh, your addition was gray. Now, uh, what the, was this other? That's correct. It was a dog. Now, what type of dog was Toto? Mm, a terrier. Well, that's as good a guess as any. Now... Uh, I, I, I'm, you see what I'm doing here? I'm leading you right up the primrose path. Now, I ask you another question now. Now, as they, as they approached, as they approached uh, the city, the, what was the name of the city they were going to? The Emerald City. It was called the Emerald City because of... 
It was red. <laughs> All right, now we're, now we're beginning to have discipline problems in the class. And uh, we know how to handle that. We've run into this problem before. And uh, we will give you one more chance to answer correctly, at which point then we will begin to institute disciplinary proceedings. Now, uh, they proceeded to the Emerald City because the Emerald City was... That is correct, green. Uh, well, that's the only way to handle a, a wise guy in a class is to pretend that he has answered the question correctly. Defang him, in other words. Yeah, he's sitting there. All right. Uh, now, they have arrived at the Emerald City. Now, why did the residents... What, what did the, all the residents of Emerald City wear? They, they wore one thing, one article that, that set them apart. Uh, an article not necessarily of apparel, but what did they wear? Now we're getting to the nitty. That's correct! By George, you're right. What is it? Sunglasses. Correct. They wore sunglasses. Now, the next question is getting a little more difficult and much more philosophical. Why did they wear sunglasses? All right. You're close. They wore sunglasses because the city was so beautiful and so splendid that uh, that their ruler had decided that they should not hurt their eyes, uh, ruin their eyes by the fantastic glare of this beautiful city, which was made out of emerald. So they had to wear green sunglasses to cut out the glare of the emerald. Correct? <laughs> and all the people thought they were living in Fun City all the while because they were wearing the sunglasses. Now, the name of the ruler who passed out all the sunglasses and who told them that it was Fun City was who? <laughs> Anybody who says John Lindsay is out of his bird. Has it occurred to you, friends, that we're living in Emerald City? <laughs> quack, 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 quack. Quack, 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 quack. Oh, better than ever, upward and onward we go. Yes, sir, in fun, F-U-N, in fun, 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 fun town. Do, 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 Gloria. Yeah, Gloria Steinem. Oh, Georgie, Georgie Plumpton. Yeah, yeah, gay, gay Khaleesi. Yeah, all of my friends marching by. Do, 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 do. There goes Philip Rothbard. It's fun town, yeah, yeah. Normie, Normie, little Normie Mailer, he's turned the banner high. All together, gang. Thank you, thank you. So I salute to the Emerald City. Now, do you see how nicely that parallel works now? Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I, you know, I don't know why I bother sometimes, surrounded as I am by sheer unadulterated ignorance. Sheer ignorance. Hey, you know, I, I was going to tell you the story of what happened in Cincinnati, didn't I? Kind of let that go. Well, of course, uh, there's reasons for not approaching it. I was hoping that the kids would go to bed before I tell you the sickening tale of abysmal woe. Kind of a nice phrase. I can turn a phrase as well as the next. And abysmal woe. That's not a bad name for a rock group. The abysmal woe. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> it isn't bad, actually. How about Skippy Jar and the Leftovers? That's not bad. However, uh, nevertheless, uh, in Cincinnati one time, uh, all you kids sit down now. And, 
will tell you a story. You gather around here. And I'll tell you a story, because that, that DJ there getting skunked on the air was, uh, you know, he, he meant to do it. You know, he was going to show people what evil comes out of drink. And, of course, halfway through, he's yelling and singing and hollering and having a hell of a time. And, of course, what happened is everybody ran out and got a drink. And we're listening to this. You know, they heard that. It always works that way. Anytime anybody tries to illustrate the evils of sin, what happens uh, within five minutes, uh, everyone wants to go out and try it. You know what the you know you hear about this all the time. You figure you got to know what the devil is. You got to know what it's about. It's like that uh, minister they discovered up in Canada. You know, you hear about him? They busted into his room and he had twelve billion reels of porny films and stuff. And he was surrounded by a fantastic collection of unbelievable stuff. When they got him, he said, "Got to know what the enemy is. Got to fight it." <laughs> he was wrestling with the devil when they caught him. But. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Oh, I don't want to even go into that. Bull whips. He had the whole bit going. But uh, I would like to ask, though, uh, if any of you out there who are esoterica uh, students, uh, you've seen all these uh, these uh, films, these uh, adult-type films that you see up and down on 42nd Street. You know, it says, you know, three great new unexpurgated uh, features, first to play in New York. You know, you've seen them up there, three of them. All these little little guys skulking in, you know, with a bad skin. You see them. They leave, they leave the uh, used magazine bookshops and hurry across the street to the 8 o'clock showing. You know, back and forth they go. Now, I would like to ask this question. Anybody out there goes to porny films? Is there anybody out there who does? <laughs> Let's put it this way. Is there anybody out there who will care to admit that he does? Uh, <laughs> that was badly phrased. But the, is, if there's anybody out there who does, uh, do they have credits? Now, that's just a philosophical question. You know, does it say, Man in Derby with Black Socks, played by Gaunt Rockwell, another starring role? Uh, <laughs> just a question. I just wonder, do they have credits? You don't know. Ah, now we are not only surrounded by, by complete ignorance, we're surrounded also by innocence. That's kind of nice. It's a nice combination. You're, you, you say your name is Fred Candide, did you say? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, every oh, all right. Now uh, we're going to ask all kinds of literary questions here tonight. I just feel in that mood, you know. You know just flicking out here with the lash. Shepard's fantastic whiplash. He just whips out with a lash there to wit, you know. Bam. Uh, a question here. Uh, we're getting a yes. We're getting a, 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 a an answer from a uh, from a porny film expert. He's calling in here. Who are some of the? He says yes, they do have them. Uh, could uh, uh, obviously it's a male? Is it a male we were talking to? Of course. <laughs> I would just like to know who some of the characters are. Excuse me, I'd like to hear some. Uh, hello, sir. Uh, you, you say you go to these uh, these uh, educational films, right? They're very educational, quite. Well, now could you please tell me? Uh, do they have credits on them? The better ones do. And uh, how do they describe the character? The, the man with black mustache and spats, uh, played by uh, Gaunt Rockwell, or you know, great names. But they are—they do have credits, and the pointy fans have their own favorites now. And you have your favorites. Uh, I see. Okay, we don't want to go into detail. Thank you very much. <laughs> Oh man, I'll tell you. We're, we're, I'll tell you how far is it going to go? But uh, nevertheless, uh, to, to speaking of uh, 
of iniquity. And uh, as long as this is the show on iniquity, I've, we've all seen it in our time, haven't we, friends? I mean, we've all been around evil, unabated, of one kind or another. No, I, I guess that's not true. I, I, I think that many people are able to live their lives pretty much all through their life and only read about stuff. Did you agree with that, Nick? And, uh, of course, you and I both live in the village, so we see it in action. I'll tell you, I mean, <laughs> life is rich and ripe. It's like a gigantic fruitcake, and you're just a little raisin bobbing up and down there. And uh, I, I, I picked that cake uh, with, uh, with malice aforethought. But as a, uh, it's like a human compost heap, and the, you're part of that great fermenting thing. And uh, personally, I find that any time I go anyplace else for any length of time, I really miss the village. I really do, you know. It, uh, it feels like any other place uh, is Squaresville. I don't know why. You know, every place, everybody has that clean look. And they worry about uh, lawnmowers and stuff like that. I have not seen a guy on Bleecker Street once mention his power mower. Not once. I've uh, seen him mention other things, but never, never a power mower. However... Hey, since uh, since uh, you, many of you have not uh, been privileged to see evil in its rawest form, sometimes it's very funny. It's not necessarily evil. It's the devil, of course. You know, the devil is always working on us. And uh, since most people are you know getting pretty rotten these days, we we begin to have a cult of devil worship, which is popping up. Oh, absolutely, everybody's somehow the devil is gnawing at you time after time. What do you think? What what do you think uh, is causing you to listen to this show? <laughs> Yeah, behind you is a shadowy figure with a tail that keeps flicking. And, uh, yeah, he keeps looking right you in the eyeball there and says, Watch, listen, man. Well, anyway, I'll tell you a story about radio. You want to hear a story? That I was in this town, which we, for want of argument... By the way, speaking of the uh, Emerald City, if I may, uh, uh, every time I think of this uh, invented town, Cincinnati, I think of the Emerald City, I... I uh, would like to ask you another question. What character in one of the Oz books, one of the Oz books, who was Ozma? Ozma of Oz. Who was Ozma of Oz? Now we're getting esoteric, aren't we? In fact, Ozma was a very important character. Ozma of Oz. Hmm. Now... What character, what character was bedeviled by jackdaws? Jackdaws are birds. Now you're getting there. Yeah. What character had a head whose eyes and his mouth and his nose were carved in his head? What character was that? Now, that's an Oz character. You don't remember that. Well, you know, there were more than one book. Well, I mean, it doesn't do you any good just to read one James Bond book. you got to get the whole mystique, you know. But uh, nevertheless, I'm in this town of Cincinnati, which, as we say, is as fictitious as Oz. Not the real thing. And uh, I was working in this radio station, going to school. So I was a very innocent type. You know, I was a kid of doing these shows and stuff. And and uh, I didn't know about real life. And uh, down the street, in another radio station, which was high up. Now, listen to this now, you radio types. You're going to hear a real story because it was a hair raiser. That he, it, it, there was a radio station that was in a suite of rooms in a tower in Cincinnati. It was like... Uh, 
would be like almost like the Empire State Building here in town. And uh, this this suite of rooms was way up near the top. It was like, uh, oh, 40 or 50, 60 stories up. Way to devil up in the air there, see. And there were windows around this building, and they could look out. The guys working in the, in the radio station could look out the window, and they could see the whole city spread out below them. Well, at the level where this station was, it was like a penthouse, actually. At the level where the station was, there was a ramp that ran around the building. You could go out, you know, like on your piazza and look out over the whole city. Well, it was a little bit, and it was a little radio station. It was not really a big one, but way up in the air, see. So I'm working at, at another radio station, which was exactly the opposite, by the way. This radio station that I was working at had its radio studios in the basement of a building. And it was down underneath, and, and it was in an old bank building where we had our studios. And down in the in the uh, underground part of the building, that would be the, the uh, basement of the building, was where we had our studios. The upstairs were all the offices. We had our studios down there. And, uh, and part of this building, of course, had been a bank. There was an old abandoned bank vault with a tremendous door, you know, the great big door with a, with a big round door with a big knob on it and all that stuff. And it was it was buried way in the back of the building, like a very secret place. And uh, and at that time, I was I was uh, working so hard. I was on at five in the morning. I was on at one in the afternoon. Remember this: five in the morning, five till eight a.m. Five a.m. to eight. Got it? I had a show from noon until one. I had a show from four till five, and then I had a show from eleven p.m. until two a.m. Well. As you can see, the union rules were very lax in this town, so as it, it became quite obvious that there was no way for Shepard to sleep. He was on the air every three hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I put a cot back in the vault, and so I would sleep. I slept and lived in the radio station back in the vault, and the engineer would come back before I was to do my show. He'd wake me up, you know, like uh, five minutes before I was to go on the air, and he'd shake me. Uh, 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 I'd wake up in a bank wall. It's, uh, 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 uh. He said, quick, you're on the air. Your theme's on. And I'd jump up and run. So uh, this is the way you learn to be a pro. Well, nevertheless, I, down the street, working in this other radio station, which was high in the air, way up in the air, maybe 60 stories up, in the, in the tallest building in Cincinnati, tremendous skyscraper, and it's about, you know, it's their version of the Empire State Building. One night, this friend of mine, who was much older and much wiser in the ways of the world, and, and people who work in show business ultimately get that baleful eye of Richard Burton. You know, they have read too many empty, hollow lines. They have listened to the tumultuous cry of the mob too often. And they have seen too many things from too many angles. And so I used to see this guy. And, we, and he was a very straightforward guy, the son of a Baptist minister who had been in radio and was now a disc jockey up at that radio station high in the sky. We'd go down once in a while and have coffee. And then one night, telephones began to ring in our station, people calling up from all parts of the city. And they were, they, they, people were frantic. They were saying, What's happening? What are these things that are coming down? What are these things? Things are coming down out of the air. Flying saucers or something. And the police were looking. Well, what had happened 
is that my friend, who was in this radio station all by himself, the transmitter was located out of town, and he was on all by himself late at one night. It's like twilight. That's maybe eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. He had he had had just one bourbon too many. One bourbon too many. He locked the doors of the radio station, big glass doors, got out up on the parapet of the sixty-story building with the radio station still going. He had the, you know he had he had a tape that was just playing on and on, and he stood up on the parapet and he threw out over the city great big 16-inch commercial transcription tapes. He just sailed them out. He had a big stack of them. And every time he would sail one out, he would hurl another epithet. Here goes Life Boy Soap. Here goes There's a Ford in Your Future. Here goes Aunt Jemima Pancakes. He was sailing the commercials. It finally rotted his head. Well, they sent up to police. They couldn't get in because the doors were all locked. They had to break down the glass door. And after one and a half hours of sailing commercial transcriptions out over the deep and dark and wine-red sea of time, he sailed the last one out. And the police helped them down. No, just give me anything you got. What's the matter, Nick? <laughs> What's going on? All right, we'll just let it go. So anyway, he's sailing his stuff down. In the last minute, I just remember when they took him away, he uh, he said, you know, he was a little bagged. He said it was worth it. It was worth it. He said, just something, he said, I, I had to do it. I just had to do it. Just I couldn't stop. I had to do it. And I said later on, of course, I don't have to tell you that he didn't work there any longer. It was not done as a publicity stunt. <laughs> it was done as a last final gesture. And I and there were overtones, curious, strange overtones of King Kong hanging on to the Empire State Building with little biplanes whirling around his head and uh, hurling whatever sadness he could hurl at the great, vast, teeming, fun city below. Bring it up there, please, Nick. So you see, under the great vast, swirling, swirling, snarling globe of night, there are many things glowing and gleaming. Look me into my eyes. Look me deep into my eyes, and I will tell you your fortune, baby. Uh, I see a tall, strong stranger in your future. <laughs> yes. He is bound on lascivious ends. Beware of this stranger bearing the carte blanche card. Beware. Uh, that'll be two dollars, please. Two dollars. Uh, the moral of this uh, program is... Uh, uh, damn it, it slipped my mind. It's all right. We'll, we'll think of it next week. It's okay. Don't worry. There's always a moral. Yeah. Uh, WR New York. Lester Smith next in the news. News and detail on the hour from the W.